Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you are doing well and are blessed. Praise the Lord. Uh, we are on the subject of uh, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And today we are on point number six. And that is the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. And I'm going to start by reading from Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. It says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now this is this is powerful because <clears throat> we're talking about the power of the blood of Jesus. And we've talked about how the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, how the blood of Jesus justifies us. But now here it says that the blood of Jesus purges. That means purges means cleanse deeply, deep cleanses our conscience so that we can serve the living God. Now, uh, the conscience, uh, you see, uh, a famous, um, one of my mentors, a famous man of God, he used to say that your conscience is the voice of your spirit. The voice of your spirit is the conscience. And so if you have guilt because of sin, your conscience is going to feel guilty. That's when people say, I have a guilty conscience. And it's far deeper than just your mind. It's in your spirit. So it says that the blood of Jesus actually cleanses our conscience. It goes deep in there and cleanses us. Now, let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. It says, for since the law was merely a rude outline, that means a rough outline or foreshadowing of the good things to come, instead of fully expressing those things, it can never by offering the same sacrifices continually year after year make perfect those who approach its altars. What it means is this, that the law of Moses was merely a foreshadow or it was a rough outline of the reality that was later to be revealed in Christ. And this is a biblical principle for us to understand. Uh, there's two things. Firstly, everything in the Old, in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of what is in the New Testament. So in other words, you can understand the Old Testament fully only if you study it through the prism, the lens of the New Testament. If you understand Jesus and his cross and his blood and the sacrifice he made for mankind and, the, and God's plan for mankind through the perspective of the cross, then the Old Testament suddenly opens up and you begin to see things you have never seen before. So what he's saying is that the law of Moses was basically an outline, a rough outline or a outline or a foreshadow of the good things to come, of the reality that used to be revealed in Christ. And but it's not just a foreshadow, but it, it couldn't really fully express it could give us an inkling or point in that direction, but the law could never give us a, a, a totally clear uh, picture of the good things that were going to come to us through Christ. It says because of that, the law can never by offering the same sacrifices continually year after year make perfect those who approach its altars. That means that because of the law was, you know, it was just a mere 
kind of a crude outline of that which was to come. The sacrifices that are in the law, which are uh, the animal sacrifices that were made to for cleansing of sin. Year after year after year after year after year, continually year after year, they could never perfect or mature, uh, make perfect or mature those who approach its altars. That means they could never make perfect those who approached its altars because it was a temporary covering over of sin. It never cleanses, but it covers over and it did that year after year. In a word, in a way, it was like a temporary fix every year. Verse 2, it says, for if otherwise would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? That means that if the law, if the sacrifices that were made according to the law could grant a full and perfect cleansing to those who came to the altars, wouldn't those sacrifices then be stopped being offered? No, they were never stopped because they, they are not perfect. And so it says, since the worshippers had once for all been cleansed, they would no longer have any guilt or consciousness of sin. This is interesting. It says that if the law was, you know, gave a, a, a perfect cleansing to those who came to its altar, then there would be no need for any sacrifices because it was a done deal. It was done. The cleansing was done once for all. And then uh, the worshippers who had been cleansed they would no longer need any more cleansing. Why? Because they would no longer have any guilt or consciousness of sin. Now we're going to come back to this. They would not have any guilt and they would not have any sin consciousness. But, but, but they do have sin consciousness. Why? Because verse 3 says, because these sacrifices every year, all they do, is bring a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for. Because although the, the people would come to the altars and sacrifices would be made and the sins would be covered away, next year they would go through the same procedure and the next and the next and the next. Because those sacrifices, all they did was to bring up a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for. So people uh, always walked under guilt or sin, sin consciousness. They worked, they lived and walked under sin, sin, sorry, sin consciousness. They lived with a guilty conscience uh, for sin and they, they lived under that because these sacrifices just reminded them all the time of their failures and shortcomings. Why? Verse 4 says, because the blood of bulls and goats is powerless to take sins away. Because the blood of bulls and goats don't have enough power to take any man's sins away. They just can't. Then it says, verse 5, Hence when Christ entered into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but instead you have made ready a body for me to offer. That means that is why when Jesus came to this world, he says, Lord, you have not desired these animal sacrifices because they do nothing. But instead, you have given me this body to be sacrificed. So Jesus was talking about his, uh, you know, he, his, his body that he would offer upon the cross and his blood that he would shed upon the cross. And the interesting thing is that he's contrasting his sacrifice, his blood that is shed upon the cross He's contrasting it to the blood of bulls and animals. So it says 
that and 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 he says that those animal sacrifices they never cleanse those sinners because they always live with this consciousness of guilt and sin they lived under sin consciousness and guilt and so because if they had been free from this sin consciousness and guilt then what would have happened they wouldn't need these sacrifices anymore but it is because the blood and bulls of bulls and goats can never cleanse people from sin but what he's trying to say is that this guilt and sin consciousness this is important to for us to ponder because you see those animal sacrifices could never cleanse people's conscience and they could never take away people's guilt or sin consciousness and but the blood of jesus actually cleanses people that's what the that's the difference between the blood of jesus and the blood of bulls and goats that the blood of jesus actually cleanses our conscience it cleanses us from guilt our conscience from guilt and the blood of jesus actually cleanses us from sin consciousness and makes us aware of righteousness consciousness and this is very important for every believer to understand this because you see the blood of jesus is so powerful that it goes to the innermost part of our being and it purges our conscience that means that deepest part of you that voice of your spirit that speaks to you it goes in there and it purges your conscience from all guilt and sin consciousness now this is you see this is for every believer because what happens is that many people uh, they they still although they are saved although they are saved by the grace of god but for some reason they 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 live under guilt and sin consciousness and they and they keep on fueling that thing by saying things like well you know i'm just a sinner saved by grace and uh, and um, and you and you say things like uh, Uh, well evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food well excuse me i was a beggar but i'm no longer a beggar so i'm not a beggar telling other beggars to find food i'm a child of the king and i tell those who are hungry that listen i once was a beggar like you but jesus took off my old rags filthy rags and he clothed me in robes of righteousness and look at me now i'm a child of god and you can have the same thing that is evangelism beggars telling beggars there's no why are are you telling me that you met jesus and you still are a beggar are you st- no we are not beggars we are children and we are heirs of god and joint heirs with christ and we are seated together with christ in heavenly places you see it's in your mind the position that you place yourself in as the bible says as a man thinketh in his heart so is he so you must position yourself in christ in god and that is why he is also talking about guilt and consciousness of sin once we have been cleansed by the blood of jesus beloved it does not behoove us to live with guilt because god has as i said in yesterday's lesson he has cleansed he has justified us and he doesn't remember our sins anymore the blood of jesus christ is so powerful that it purges our conscience and it takes away our feelings of guilt so we choose no longer to live under guilt or be driven by guilt and 
so that guilt and sin consciousness no longer affect our faith or affect our expectations from God. They no longer affect our walk with God, but we live with righteousness consciousness in which I can say, yes, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I am a new creation. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. But when I was saved by grace, I ceased to be a sinner. And now I am righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm seated together with Christ in heavenly places. You see, that is the power of the blood of Jesus. It takes us from being sinners and we get saved by grace and then it takes us to the next place where we are children of the king and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So, you know, beloved, let, let me just say this. It's not just in the semantics, but you see your words determine where you stand because life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so this is false humility when people say, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Listen. It is false humility. It's not true humility. A truly humble man will say what God says. A truly humble man will say, you know what? I was a sinner, but by grace I got saved. And now I'm a child of God. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. Not because I deserve to, but that's what I am. And that's what God has declared me to be righteous. And I am righteous. Hallelujah. And I'm walking with God and greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. That is the language of true humility. So, and that is the language of faith. The language of faith and humility always says what God says. So my friends, this is where we have to stand. We have to embrace this freedom from guilt and freedom from inferiority complex and freedom from this talk as if our salvation, you know, the new birth doesn't really amount to much. And we have to be walking, we have to walk free from from uh, from putting ourselves down and walking with sin consciousness but we should be righteous righteous we should have righteousness consciousness that we walk with the consciousness of the righteousness that we have in Christ amen okay so the next point is the blood of Jesus makes me righteous the blood of Jesus makes me righteous now to be righteous actually means to have right standing with God. That means we stand before God without guilt, without inferiority, without condemnation. And that righteousness, that, 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 that righteousness uh, is a gift of God. It is nothing we can ever attain according to our own works. It is a gift of God and it is only done by the power of the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus can make us righteous, beloved. Not our works, uh, nothing else, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Okay, let me read from Romans 3, 20 to 28. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. That means by trying to keep the law of Moses, these are the words of the apostle Paul. And he's saying, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Why? Because by the law is the knowledge of sin. He says the only thing, if you live under the law, if you give yourself to the law, the only thing you will really get is an understanding of how miserable you are. It says that uh, uh, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight because by the law, is the knowledge of sin. 
Then it says, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the laws is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, what he means that for the, for the Israelite people, the Jewish people, there was only one way to gain acceptance by God, and that was by keeping the law. So he's referring, he was, he's referencing to that. He's referring to that. So he says, so he's telling them, he said, listen, listen, you think that you can be accepted by God, made righteous by God by keeping the law. He said, doesn't work because by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight because by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the whole idea is the attainment of righteousness and keeping of the law is just a means, but the goal is the attainment of righteousness. So in verse 21, he says, but now this righteousness of God that you long for, that you want to attain is given to us without the law. It is manifested without the law. And he says it is, and even the law and the prophets are testified. They witness of this new way through which righteousness can be attained. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference. He says this righteousness of God, it is by the faith of Jesus Christ and it is upon all, on all, and it is unto all who believe. That means all of us who believe, who have faith in Jesus, we receive this righteousness as a free gift and is given to all. Why? He says, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That means we are justified freely. God gives it freely without holding anything back. Then it says, whom God has set forth to, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. That means we put our faith in his blood. And because we put faith in his precious blood, that is why it says to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. That means that when we put our faith in the blood of Jesus, that is when this righteousness is imparted to us. Hallelujah. So when we put our faith in Jesus, in the blood that he shed upon the cross of Calvary, and we look at that cross, we look at Jesus, we look at that bleeding savior, we look at his blood and we put our faith in his blood. And that is when God declares his righteousness over our lives for the remission, the forgiveness of sins that are passed. Hallelujah. So it all comes through our looking at the blood of Jesus. And we acknowledge that precious blood, that that precious blood was shed for me for the forgiveness of my sins. And when that happens, that is when the righteousness of, righteousness of God is imparted to us. Then it says, verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. He says at that because God declares his righteousness. Amen. He declares his righteousness. And then it says here, uh, so that he may be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. So God is just and he, 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 uh, he's the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. Then it says in verse 27, so where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but the law of faith. So 
uh, so is that we, we, we cannot boast. Can we boast then that we kept the law and we got, uh, uh, you know, we were got, gained acceptance by God because I kept the law because I was holy and perfect. And that's why I gained exception by law. Is it by what law? He says by the law of good works. No, but by the law of faith. We got this by faith alone. Therefore, verse 28 we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That means when Jesus Christ was upon the cross and his blood was shed, God made him sin. Our sins were put upon him so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and for me so that we can be righteous. He became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. Not just righteous, but the righteousness of God itself. We became the righteousness of God in him. Then it says in here, Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That means now that we have been justified, we have been made righteous by faith in his blood. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, this verse 26, it talks about God is the justifier of him. I read the scripture and I've written down, he said to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. Now, let, let me, the Greek word for justified, the word justified, okay, is actually a legal term. It's a, it's a legal term in the Greek language. You know, there are certain words that, that are used uh, that are legal language, you know, like court language, language in courts and court, pa court papers, and they mean something specific. So the Greek word for justified, it says verse in Romans 5, 1, uh, in, in, I'm sorry, in Romans, um, Romans uh, 3, 26, it says, uh, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus, that, to, that God declares his righteousness because in declaring his righteousness, he is declaring that he is just and because he's just, he justifies us who are who believe in Jesus. And then Romans 5, 1, it says, therefore being justified by faith, we have been justified by faith. So the Greek word justified here is a legal word. Uh, something like somebody is sentenced for a crime or someone is condemned. It describes a verdict. It describes a pronouncement or a verdict. So God uh, legally Legally, God uses a legal word, the word of God here. And just like somebody is sentenced to prison, you know, that's a legal term, sentence or someone is condemned. That's a legal term. So somebody is justified. That is a legal term. So God has spoken a verdict. The word justified is a legal term for a kind of verdict. It's a verdict. So God has given his verdict. He has pronounced his judgment. He's the supreme judge. He has pronounced a verdict and he has declared us as justified. So when God uses the word justify, when God justifies, he declares or pronounces a person to be righteous. 
So when he condemns, he pronounces a person guilty. But when he justifies, he pronounces a person righteous. So the fact that he has called you and me righteous is that he has looked at us. He has looked at the case. He has looked at us, our papers, and he has declared us to be righteous. That's what it means. So it's like a, it's like a court. And so uh, you and I, we are the accused and uh, God is the judge and Satan is the accuser and Jesus is our advocate. And so, uh, the, you know, the prosecutor, he brings out all of our crimes and uh, all our sins and everything. And then Jesus is our, who is our advocate and this is his defense. His defense says, yes, your honor, this person, Christopher Alam is really guilty of all these things. It is true. He is guilty as charged, but his punishment has been, he's actually guilty, worthy of death, but his punishment has been paid. I took his punishment upon my own self and he, I, and so his price has been paid. His debt has been paid. And this is, you know, these are the facts. So God looks at these facts that yes, Christopher Alam is guilty of all these sins. He is worthy of death. He is worthy to be condemned. But then Christopher Alam's advocate, Jesus Christ, speaks up and declares that, yes, Christopher Alam is indeed guilty of this, but the price has been paid. The debt has been paid. He was sentenced to death and I took his place upon the cross. I shed my blood upon the cross. So then God, he declares Christopher Alam justified. That means he just, he declares Christopher Alam as not guilty and not only not guilty, he declares me, he gives his verdict. His final verdict is that Christopher Alam is justified and because he, I am justified, I am now made righteous. That means I can stand before God without any guilt, without any condemnation, without any sin consciousness, because all that Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The price has been paid. So that is why I, I hope you understand what I'm coming to. It says in Romans 3.26, it says to declare, I say at this time, the righteousness of God, that God might be just and the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. God declares us as righteousness. So it's not just me going around and saying, like I said earlier, we should declare I've made the righteousness of God. No, it's not only me declaring I'm righteous, but God declares I'm, I'm righteous. God, he took a legal term and he declared his verdict over Christopher Alam's life. And he said, I declare Christopher Alam to be justified. He is justified and he is righteous and God's final verdict has been spoken over your life too. You who are watching this, you have been justified. You have been declared righteous and it's not because of your works or anything that you and I have done, but it is because of the grace of God and it is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. God declared you righteous because Jesus Christ shed his blood for you. He shed his blood as a propitiation for your sins and for my sins. And because of his blood, you and I have been declared justified and you and I have been declared righteous. That is why I don't go around and say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, 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 no. I declare I am made righteous. You know why? 
two reasons. Firstly, the blood that was shed for my justification to declare me righteous is just too precious for me to yield to any religious traditional talk and say I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's the first reason. The second reason I call myself justified is because God has declared me to be righteous and God has declared you to be righteous. Doesn't matter what your faults are, what your flaws are. God has declared you are righteous so you can walk before him as a righteous child of God. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your blessings upon my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your hand upon us. Thank you for your keeping, your preserving, your protection over us. Father, I ask you for your blessing upon my brothers and sisters. You said you'd bless our food and water. Turn every sickness away from us in the name of Jesus. Bless them. Bless their families in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. I'll be seeing you again tomorrow. Blessings.